If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ponzi schemes, princesses, shootings, it's one more thing. Armstrong and Getty. One more thing. Before we get to that, I do have a question. Just popped into my head. Did you say you have or you were thinking of getting... The frame, that thing that they sell at Best Buy where you can put, uh, it's an electronic painting and you can put any picture you want in there. Do you have one or did you think of getting one? No, no, I, I, I don't have one. Okay. Have you ever yeah, seen them anywhere? Oh, I've seen something very, very similar. I have a TV that does that. When it's off, you can set it so it displays art. Mm. But they want you to subscribe to like an you know, art subscription. I think the frame works that way also, but it looks, it just, it, you can get any kind of frame you want, just, you know, like you can with any art. So you want the little thin black thing that goes with your decor or a big wooden chunky thing like you live in a castle or whatever it is you want. Lots of gold in my case. And then you can have whatever you want on there and it could be a family photo or it could be some of the great art of history and it looks really, really good. I've looked at it at Best Buy and thought, man, I'd love to have one of these in my house, but I just don't. I don't know if I'd enjoy it the because it's like a thousand bucks or something like that. Mm. Um, but I, I, it seems pretty cool. Yeah, well, it seems like a great idea. Why would you have like actual art? I mean, because you could, uh, you could. Uh, I would imagine select from the great works of yeah. the Renaissance. Oh, yeah, yeah. anything or the Middle Ages or prehistory or. Um, local artists, even, you know, if you wanted to localize it. Yeah, think of feeling like a Da Vinci, feeling like a Warhol, whatever you're in the mood for, and it's in 4K. Yeah. I mean, it looks yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it seems or pretty I bet cool. it'd be searchable by, like, a topic, too. How about a nice landscape, honey? You want, like, a rolling hills or yeah. a beach? Yeah, I was actually looking through that. I like I like dark, depressing Russian paintings. That's for whatever mm. reason, that's what I like. Like like a dark, rainy, cold Russian landscape. Those are my favorite paintings. Really? Yeah, and um, uh, I could get one of those and put it on my wall. But you, you know, you're not. I always prefer like your Hieronymus Bosch uh, people being torn apart by demons art. 
But if you have somebody coming over to your home who's not serially depressed and maybe wouldn't appreciate that, you could immediately switch it to something a little more colorful and lively. Right. All right. Here's some effing sunflowers for you. Enjoy that. <laughs> Patsy. Anyway, I mean, maybe I'll get one of those and let you all know what I think of it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so a little bonus mailbag. We we hardly have time to squeeze in emails during the show these days. I don't know why, because we babble too much, but uh, got a number on a number of topics. We can talk about them a little or a lot. Uh, Steve and Eugene writes, we don't have a mass shooting problem. We have a broken people problem. We have people among us who function fine until things in their lives start to break and they lack coping mechanisms. You can't always predict who these people are or what straw will break the camel's back in their lives. The shooting, uh, whichever one he's talking about, is the symptom of that broken people issue. A few somehow reconcile the broken minds that killing a bunch of people, innocent bystanders or people perceived to have done the wrong, is the only way out. We need to fix that. <clears throat> what I don't know the answer to this. Um, what percentage of the people who pull off these mass shootings have been full-on diagnosably you probably couldn't have reached them mentally ill quite a few of them have been like really round the bend hmm. like these last two 70 year old asian dudes didn't seem to be they're just kind of in your general life has gotten to them they're very upset yeah probably yeah. could pull them back into humanity the psychic break, or as they used to call it temporary insanity uh-huh. that type of thing yeah complete loss of perspective yeah, I don't know. But the my toaster is talking to me, and you know I'm doing. You know, some of these people, I don't think you could reach them. So that's a fairly small percentage, though, isn't it? Is it okay? Maybe I'm wrong. Your toaster is talking to you. Well, School's- your toaster's talking to you. I used an extreme example, but I think pretty damned diagnosably mentally ill. I think that's most of these people, isn't it? Yeah, but are you talking? There are all sorts of rain- levels of mental illness, though. I mean, are you True. psychotic? You have no no accurate perception of reality, or. You're ang- just you got like, anxiety. Right, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Explain how Social Security is not a Ponzi scheme. It right, is. Sage from San Diego. Uh, they're listening to a, another radio show. Where do you get... You You cheated on us. A uh, story about the original Ponzi scheme. I just have explana- one question. Was it good? Was it good listening to that other radio station? Wow. Uh, they had an explanation of why all schemes are Ponzi schemes uh, that use new investor contributions to play returns to previous investors. And people start to hear, yeah, man, uh, I, Joe Jones invested $5,000. He got 25000 back. So did uh, Mary Smith. Oh, my God, I'm in. And then their contributions pay the next level, but you have to find more and more and more suckers. That's does what it pay out for is. everybody, or does it only pay out for people with really banal average names? <laughs> That's a key. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I couldn't help draw the conclusion that Social Security is just a governmental-mandated uh, Ponzi scheme. Love to have somebody try to explain how Social Security isn't a Ponzi scheme. It is, my darling. It is. Yeah, yeah. How many people know that the money is not being saved somewhere for you later? That it's just getting spent the day it shows up? A third. (laughs) And they'll figure out how to get your check paid for when the time comes. Right. And that if you're relatively young, uh, they're not going to be able to. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Uh, This is uh, Ashley 
who is very, uh, very busy taking care of two small children, but likes to check back on a regular basis, listen to the podcast, so she's a little behind. That's fine. Actually, it's it's good to have you listening it's in not whatever a, Not uh, okay setting. with me. You need to listen in real time or don't listen at all. Oh, boy. Uh, she says, I wanted to comment on the discussion of why little girls want to be princesses. Mm. You remember that, chat? Yeah. Uh, I mentioned no little boy has ever expressed a desire to be a prince. <laughs> or at least it's very rare. <clears throat> I currently have a a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and an almost six-year-old son. They're very much the epitome of their gender, that being male and female, etc. Son, loud, active, likes smashing things whilst making crashing noises. And my daughter, in contrast, enjoys pretending she is a rainbow kitty and wears a dress just about everywhere she goes. Well, that's because you've indoctrinated them into gender roles. There's no such thing as male and female. Speaking of psychotic opinions... Anyway, uh, the idea of being a princess is always at the top of her imagination to-do list and is just so because of the following. All princesses are beautiful. All princesses are adored or admired. Mm -hmm. All princesses wear dresses all the time and usually have lots of accessories. (laughs) True. (laughs) All princesses are strong-willed and special in their own way. Having watched some of the classic Disney princess movies like Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, these basic princesses were pretty much hated just because they existed and were beautiful. But most of the newer princesses, like from Brave or Moana, have come to overcome something big and usually terrifying to, quote, save their kingdom. I think this is very empowering to young girls to see that they can be beautiful and feminine and still kick some ass and triumph over the villains. So in my opinion, who wouldn't want to be beautiful, admired, well-dressed, strong, brave, and a capable princess? Uh, besides, she's already used to having people wait on her hand and foot. Hey, hey, now, I understand that one. That's some good parenting humor. But why Always isn't that, inspiring. Why isn't that true for wanting to be a prince? Aye, aye, forgive me if it goes astray. Um, why don't more people want to be a prince as opposed to prince? Purple rain, purple rain. No, a uh, different prince. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I'd have to think too much. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Why don't little boys think about being Because princes? there are more examples of that same thing than just princess for women? Is that like there are more, you know... Uh, more roles of that sort? Yeah, where you're the hero yes. and admired. and Yes, yes, many. Whether you're a military hero or you're the boss or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah. Football Star athlete. athlete. Yeah. yeah. Well, girl, women athletes exist, too. You can see them on ESPN, too. Baby, you're um, much too fast. Plus, uh, princes always have to, like, dress up in fancy clothes, which women are way more into that than dudes. True. Yeah. You tell me I got to wear some sort of velvet pantaloons, I might say, oh, I'll pass. I'll stay, uh, I'll stay a surf. Yeah, the, uh, the guy who looked just like the prince, but he lives in the country and has a happy life, and he eats apples and stuff, and they switch places. How about I be the first guy and we don't switch places? <laughs> <laughs> and then on another... He eats apples and stuff. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to think of various uh, uh, you know, m- uh, embodiments of that legend right. I've seen, and frequently there's uh, the eating of fresh fruit. Gotcha. <laughs> Often on an apple cart while survey or a cart surveying the, the landscape. Anyway. I'm Hannah Storm and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and then this, this is again, apropos of nothing, but we're covering a lot of ground here. Uh, talking about college degree or no work for you. This is from uh, Al Anonymous. Uh, in 2012, I was barred from having a professional-level job at a major insurance company because I had no degree, even though my interviewers believed I had the experience and ability to do the job and recommended an exception be made in my case. No exception was made by the higher-ups, and I was hired for a service-level job. The must-have-a-degree policy started in the public sector. A degree showed an applicant was capable of starting and finishing something that took years of dedication. That's that's largely the reasoning I heard in my younger days. It might have been. Well, I'm, 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 I, it was true for a long time. I think it absolutely was true. My my perception, just from talking to quite a few n- young people and adults of those young people, it's practically the opposite now. It's the right. putting off real life for four years of uh, hanging out with your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So back then, the degree was tangible proof of success. Eventually, the policy morphed into a way to manage applicants to automatically cull out a large number of people who would interview for jobs they couldn't do. So it was just a convenience. This new iteration of the policy was cemented after 09 when so many people were looking for work, especially tradesmen, which I had been who were out of work due to the downturn in the construction industry. We were used to making good money in the trades, and the idea of a major pay cut to work in an office wasn't palatable, so we wanted to apply for higher-paying jobs. While some could do the job, many, maybe even most, couldn't. The policy saved these companies from hours of time-wasting interviews with on people who had no ability to do the jobs. Eventually, it became a self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy as the higher echelons of business became nothing but college grads and therefore believed that only college grads yep. could do the jobs they did. This right. all seeped into government over time. Uh, Excellent analysis, uh, Al. And I've known your your uh, your emails for years, and it's usually terrific and well said. The reversal of this that we've seen start recently is tremendous news, I think, for the structure of society. Yeah, companies asking, in what sense is a college degree really necessary for this gig? Well, and, and part of that, and, you know, I don't want to come off uh, as the, the bitter old guy, even though I'm bitter and old, um, is that <laughs> increasingly, and I have this from the very lips of a number of people who are in hiring positions for a variety of companies, and I mean seriously a variety, from uh, trades to, um, to, to like, uh, financial offices, that frequently the college experience is a detriment to their ability to work with these people. They have, and this is not universal by any means, there are a hell of a lot of great young people getting out of colleges and universities these days, but there are also a hell of a lot of them that bring enormous attitude. All of the snowflakey tendencies we've discussed through the recent decades, and they're extremely difficult to work with. They have wildly unrealistic uh, visions of what the workplace ought to be. And so I can see in some, not extreme, but more, mm, I don't know, closer to extreme examples. I don't know what the term is. Um, where they're thinking, you know, I don't want somebody who went to college. Yeah, you might be better off. So that it, I just saw this tweet today from James Lindsay. He's the anti-woke fighter that we follow a lot. He was uh, tweeting about, so Harvard students are walking out today to demand the resignation of uh, one of the professors there over some dumb thing, as usual. Anyway, uh, James Lindsay tweeted out, they still teach things at Harvard like activism and how to be a giant liability to every elite company that farms you out of the school because no one else is going to hire them anymore. Yeah, you're a giant liability. You come from the wokest of schools. So yeah. you're right. A company might look at that and think, Okay, I hire this person who didn't go to college who probably isn't looking for a reason to be angry, or this person who's just looking for a reason to be unhappy with the patriarchy and white supremacy and, you know, uh, not down with trans this and that, and nobody's using pronouns or whatever. Right, they would only really achieve job satisfaction if they were able to tear this company down. Right. Do you remember, when was it, a couple of years ago? It's always hard for me to nail down whether it was two years ago or 17, but um, there were a handful of articles 
quoting people in hiring positions saying, we've learned to not go to the Ivy Leagues. They're way too much baggage uh, with their graduates. We are much happier with such and such state university grads. Yeah, it's not it, shocking. No, it's not. And again, of course, it depends. Your mileage may vary. It depends. Of on course, what yeah. sort of thing? Are you? Did you get a degree in how to be a doctor, or are you comparing one gender studies major to another? Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, and you got to be careful of stereotyping. Always, I, I sure had a friend, is a time saver. It is. Well, I had a friend of a, a, a liberal bent who was anguished by the fact that he'd hired um, two, I'll say two, people in a row of a particular ethnicity, and they both stole from him. And he said, I am fighting the urge that I have when somebody else of that ethnicity applies to think, yeah, they're going to steal from me. He said, I can't help it. I'm trying to, but I can't. And so, you know, if you run into a couple of obnoxious Ivy League grabs in a row, you might start making blanket judgments that aren't fair. But, again, it's a Is discriminating against Harvard students repugnant? I don't think it is. I think they'll do fine. God, I was watching that protest with the Harvard students demanding that guy go and thought, man, you are the most, you are among the most privileged people who have ever lived on planet Earth. You were young people at Harvard, and here you are, so unhappy. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of privilege, one final thought about princesses, one or two. Uh, I once heard it said that, uh, advice to young men, uh, fellas, if her dad calls her princess, beware, because on some level she believes it. Oof! And uh, which reminds me, it, it, it may have even been after I heard that. I can't remember but uh, many times through her life, my beloved youngest uh, child, Delaney, when she would uh, ask me for something or, or expect to be uh, uh, coddled a bit, I would say to her in precisely this voice, anything for my little princess. And she would get the message, which is why she's so cool now. I yeah. think I should go with I something hope. more funny and sarcastic like that than, rather than the uh, I'm not a waiter. I, uh, I'm not a waiter. I'm not a butler. I'm not a whatever, depending on whatever the situation is. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I say that at least once a day, I think. I am not your butler. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's it. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.